0: In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. Did you happen to catch the opening line of the epistle reading? It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This is perhaps a great theme verse for the church in 2020. It's been a year already, hasn't it? And we're only just over halfway through. Well, we started this year, if you'll recall, with wildfires still raging in Australia. Locust swarms of biblical proportion ravaging Africa and parts of the Middle East. We've had Saharan dust clouds, murder hornets, civil unrest at home and abroad, and, oh yeah, that COVID thing. That thing which continues to affect us in our normal daily patterns of living, even our worship, although it's nice to see your masked faces this morning. There's not much need for me to talk to you at length about suffering. We all know it well. And Paul, writing 2,000 years ago, knew it as well. And it's somewhat nice to know that we can look to him for support and aid in this time. But suffering was only the first half of that verse. Paul, as he begins this section of his writing to the Roman church, cast their concern and ours forward, saying that our suffering could be set aside as being worthless when compared with the glory that awaits us. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to do and to think about. It's much easier for me to get wrapped up in the day-to-day, in the sufferings of the present time, of what should be done or shouldn't be done, or my own self-righteous judgments of what I see people doing or not doing. It's harder for me to look forward, to think about hope, to think about glory. So I need this sermon as much as maybe some of you do. And to help us connect with what Paul is hoping for and getting us for, let's see how he gets us there in this passage. Paul and the Church of Rome, we must remember, were quite familiar with suffering. We need only to look a few verses after the passage today to verse 35 to see a list of types of suffering that Paul was quite well acquainted with. These include various tribulations and trials, distress, being persecuted, Famine, a lack of clothing, various dangers, and war. In those early years, as the congregations were literally beginning to form, where there was not yet thought of a church building, we must also remember that Christianity was technically an illegal religion. Though it came out of Judaism, which had some rights and protections under Roman law, Christianity was a new thing, and it went quite against emperor worship. And so in many places throughout the Roman Empire, being a Christian would quite easily lead you to being persecuted or a limit to your ability to gain and earn money. And we must also remember that Paul himself suffered greatly. If we look through the book of Acts or even in Paul's epistles that he writes to us, he was imprisoned frequently, persecuted, beaten, and was quite well acquainted with famine, as that was his great fundraising project in the early church, raising money for those who could not afford to buy food where famine had ravaged. So I think he's a bit of an expert, though he doesn't know our own particular circumstances. We can trust his words about suffering and about hope. Here we are 2,000 years later. Countless technological advances have come between then and now. And yet, suffering remains. Although this may be the worst year many of us have lived through, certainly challenging and certainly strange, it is not new. We've ridden the waves of economic downturns before. We've experienced the great suffering as a community here in Oklahoma City some 25 years ago with the Murrah Building bombing. We've seen global wars. We've seen pandemics before. We've come up with viruses. We've written new laws to help make things more just and more fair. And yet, suffering remains. As it has been from Paul's time and even well before Paul unto us today, suffering is close at hand. And even though we find better solutions, and the solutions of tomorrow, which may yet end COVID, which may yet end injustice in some part or in some way, Suffering will remain. We still experience pain, death, disease, challenging relationships, loss of job, and countless other challenges along the way. Suffering seems constant, and the temptation is to sometimes wallow in it and think it can't possibly get better. But Paul is keenly aware, as we should be, That what we need is to have hope, to have a source of hope, to have something to look to that is beyond our current suffering. And that is where Paul takes us. And he starts by reminding us that we as humans are not alone in our suffering. We don't think about creation this way, but Paul does. He says that the entire creature, meaning all of creation, is earnestly waiting Earnestly expecting the manifestation of the sons of God. That glory which Paul is alluding to and which we heard even at the end of our gospel where those who are righteous will shine forth in the kingdom of God's righteousness. All of creation is urging for that because all of creation suffers. Here Paul is alluding actually all the way back to Genesis 3.17 which you may recall is the part of Genesis where God is cursing Adam and Eve for having eaten of the forbidden fruit. And God tells Adam that the ground itself is cursed because of him. It starts to bring forth briars and thistles and thorns and becomes a source of hard, tedious labor. The earth is corrupted. It is not what it should be, not what it was meant to be. And so all of creation along with us yearns for freedom freedom and redemption from bondage and corruption. And Paul brings out an interesting aspect when he talks about how creation waits, and I think encourages us us, to think about waiting in perhaps a different way. We are in the midst of suffering. We're waiting for hope and glory. How should we do this? Paul's statement that it is an eager expectation means that waiting is not passive. We are not sitting in some resigned or depressed state, just waiting for it all to be over. Rather, it's an eager, anxious, excited anticipation of what is to come. The image that comes to mind for me for this is that child on Christmas Eve, so eagerly, expectedly waiting what might come, that finds him or herself going to their window repeatedly, hoping to catch a glimpse of Santa's sleigh. Did I just hear jingle bells on the roof? It's full of excitement, of, of hope. There's anticipation of what is coming. You know what is coming the next time, and it drives you, even though that's sometimes the longest night of the year. Will morning ever come? Which is a sense of suffering. While we wait through suffering and through pain, there's hope. And Paul even uses an interesting word for the pain that we are suffering with creation in. The word he uses is actually the the word used for pain of childbirth, which Robert Mounts reminds us that the pain of childbirth itself is not meaningless pain, for that pain innately comes with the joyful expectation of the new life that is yet to be born. It is a pain that is fraught with hope, and joy and longing to see that life given. This is the pain, Paul indicates, that we are in. That It is not just pain for pain's sake, but a pain which brings forth new life at the end of it, even though it seems far off and hard to hold on to. And even though we have received the down payment of the Spirit, we yet groan because hope does not get rid of suffering, Hope itself does not get rid of pain, but it does become a balm. Hope is the thing, Paul says, that saves us. And he has used creation as an example and links it to our own story to remind us and encourage us that our waiting is shared with creation and suffering and that it should be waited upon with an eager and earnest hope. We should be so convinced of God's love for us of his promises to us to return and make things right, that even and perhaps especially in those dark and stormy days in this crazy year of 2020, we find our hearts yet strangely warmed and find ourselves at peace because God gives us peace and hope. Of course, it's easier for us to think about the suffering because we feel it, we touch it, We sense it to the core of our being. We can grasp it and know what it is. Hope is somehow different. As Paul alludes to, we can't see the thing that is promised. We can't touch it. We can't talk to God and have him tell us personally that it is there and true, save by his graciousness, save through his word, which gives us such hope. Therefore, it requires us to be intentional, to look forward, to look upward. It requires us to regularly recast our eyes upon the text of Scripture, to be reminded of the promises of God, which is what Paul is calling us to this morning. To remember that Jesus himself said, Lo, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you there. That we can trust it and hope in it, But it requires that regular, repeated message. If it's true that it takes one positive thing to overcome the weight of, or five positive things to overcome the weight of one negative thing, how much more do we need to be in Scripture and reminded of the truth and the goodness of God so that in the midst of our suffering, despite decay and death, we can have our minds be so trained to look with hope and with joy. That even though we suffer, we can be like that child on Christmas Eve that goes, yes, but my God is coming. Yes, but there is hope. This world is not all there is. There is yet more. God knows me. God loves me. God has forgiven me. God is calling me home to him in his timing. And we will be there with him when it matters most. May we so spend our time with each, other, with each other and with God's word that we live into that hope and not our fears. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.